0: Your reading is from Philippians, the second chapter, verses 5 through 11. In addition to your own Bible, you may find it on the back side of your message notes or beginning on page 840 in a worship Bible. Please stand for the reading of God's Word. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, Every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth. And every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord, to the glory of God the Father. This is the word of God.
1: Well, as I mentioned a little bit earlier, we're taking some time to think about the resurrection of Jesus. Now, I know in a lot of churches and even in our church often, we really focus on the resurrection one Sunday per year, that Easter Sunday morning. But as I mentioned last week, there's so much going on on Easter Sunday that there's only so much that you can do to talk about the resurrection. And the resurrection is the single most important thing that ever happened in the history of the world. It's the most important thing. Its implications are enormous. But mostly on Easter Sunday, we tend to think about just a few things related to Jesus' resurrection. We think about the, the evidences for his resurrection, so the message might relate to the evidences, the reason we can count on the resurrection. Or we think about the resurrection as proof of Jesus' divinity, which of course it is, and also proof that there is life beyond the grave, which of course it does prove that because Jesus went through to the other side and, and it shows us the way. It also gives to us the assurance that Jesus' death did, in fact, satisfy the just requirements of God. He was raised for our justification, the Bible says. So those are things we think of a lot, the resurrection as being proof of the deity of Jesus, proof that he, uh, that he did die for our sins, proof that there is life after the after death, and proof that we can go to heaven when we die. Those things are all true, but there's more to the resurrection than that. And so I don't know if you've got your thinking caps on today or not, but I hope you do, because that last week and this, I want to just think a little bit about this resurrection. What is it that it means? What, how does it fit into the Bible story? You know that we've been taking, if you've been with us for a while, we just finished a two-year-long journey. Two years, 104 weeks probably, actually a little more than that, that we spent starting at day one in the Bible, going all the way to the final day at the end of Revelation. We follow that whole great big long story from beginning to end over a course of a two-year uh, two period. And in the middle of that, or at the end of it, we have this fundamental story about the resurrection of Jesus. How does the story of Jesus and his resurrection fit into the broader story? What is it that it means? What does it mean for us? How does it all tie together? Uh, and so I... Uh, I'm a little bit nervous while I do some of this because I don't want to bore you. The last thing a preacher wants to do is to bore people. I don't mean to do that. But I want to help you to think a little bit. We don't think deeply enough about what's going on in the Scriptures and why it really matters. And so I've chosen this text in Philippians chapter 2, this grand and glorious hymn about Jesus that tells his story. And I want us to see some things that this story, this this, uh, text kind of teaches us about how the resurrection of Jesus fits into the big story that is the Bible that it doesn't just plop in by itself, unannounced, right here and there, there's this man named Jesus, he died for your sins. You know. Well, that's of course true. But if you don't understand the whole story, you don't know how it fits and why it matters and why uh, uh, the, the, the Christian story uh, speaks so eloquently to the true human condition, why it has stood the test of time and answers the deepest heartfelt needs of our lives and of our hearts. So I would like you to... Uh, 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 Think about three things relative to the resurrection today. I want you to see that it first of all, it realizes the word's kind of unusual, but it makes sense. the resurrection of Jesus realizes the story of Israel and the Bible, and it reverses the fall of Adam, and it reveals the true nature of God, yes. Three R's. I couldn't resist. Once in a while, I fall back into my old preacher ways, you know. Um, so, but it realizes the story of Israel in the Bible. It reverses, or I might even say, reaffirms or renews our humanity under Adam, and it reveals the true nature of God. Now, don't check out right now. Think with me about these things because these are important matters. First of all, the resurrection of Jesus realizes the story of Israel and. The Bible. It, in other words, it realizes it, it completes, it fulfills. It's the goal towards which this whole Old Testament Scripture has been has been written. If you open up your Bible someday and you notice that the New Testament is like only the last twenty percent of the whole Bible, why is that whole first part in there? Well, it's all part of a whole story. Which, if you've been with us for a while, you know that there's this story about this beautiful creation broken by human sin, rescued by God's grace, and ultimately renewed by Jesus' resurrection and ultimate return. The beautiful, broken, rescued, renewed story is this overarching story that tells us that the world was not here by accident, but by design. And God loves this world. He created it. He called it very good. But it was broken by human rebellion because humanity decided they would like to sit in God's place instead of God Deciding they would decide what was right and wrong, not let God tell them what was right and wrong. And lots of bad things began to happen. And so there is this grand drama of God's rescue project, beginning with Abraham, going through Moses, going through David, and ultimately centering on the person of Jesus. Jesus is the one who realizes, who consummates, who fulfills, who completes the story that the Bible is telling. So if we want to understand the resurrection, we need to see it in the context of this big narrative. You see, it speaks about the rescue of creation. And so we see that God called Abraham and then Moses um, and then David, the the King David, and all these people. And these were all meant to be part of God's rescue project. In fact, when God first called Abraham, he said, follow me, the land I will show you, and I will make you a father of a great nation, a blessing for all the nations. So God was going to use Abraham to bring blessing to all the nations. And so we have this rescue project. But the problem we see throughout the whole Old Testament is that the rescue always seems to be cut short it doesn't quite make it it's as if the rescuers themselves need to be rescued right like they like israel who's meant to be the ones through whom god rescues creation and blesses creation they themselves need to be uh, need to be rescued and so we have this this sense of uh, of homelessness of unfulfilledness the rescuers need to be cre- rescued themselves so abraham for example he obeyed god's call but he also had a child by the wrong woman. As a part of that rescue, he was a part. Of, he was bringing rescue, but he also brought ruin in the same time. Jacob, who was uh, Abraham's grandson, he fathered the 12 tribes, but his name was changed from Jacob to Israel, which is he who struggles with God, this perpetual struggle. The rescuers themselves are part of the problem. And then we have Moses who comes to call the people out of Egypt. And, of course, he does that. But as soon as they come out of Egypt, what do they say? Can't we go back to slavery? It was a lot more easy back then. Can't we go back to that? They didn't really want to be part of the rescue project that God was developed. They were continually murmuring and griping, and Moses himself was disobedient as well. Ultimately, we see that as a Bible story goes, we have Israel coming uh, coming into the promised land only to spend a miserable few generations under Judges where it says everyone did what is right in his own eyes. The rescuers needed to be rescued themselves They asked ultimately for a king, but after only 120 years, they had a civil war, and the kingdom split into two. The rescuers were part of the problem as well. They needed to be rescued themselves, and one kingdom, the southern kingdom uh, remained for a while, but ultimately, ultimately, they were then... uh, they were then uh, captured by the Babylonians. They were sent into exile away from their homeland. They lost their sovereignty. They lost their land they lost their temple in many ways they lost God they were lost but they were part of the rescue program, but it had been lost themselves, you know. Uh, and, uh, uh, and, and so, ultimately, then God brings them back. But we see this Old Testament sort of ends like, well, we're back in the, old, in the promised land. We have a temple. We're going through the motions We're following God, but God is going to ultimately rescue us. God will send a deliverer. He will send a a Messiah, someone who will rescue us. And it's into this grand narrative that Jesus arrives. Jesus shows up by a uh, by a river he's baptized and he says he begins, to pre- he begins to preach a gospel a good news of repentance and saying the kingdom of god is at hand you see jesus jesus uh, show- and then when jesus shows up at his hometown and he opens up the bible to the 61st chapter what we now call the 61st chapter of isaiah and he reads about the acceptable year of the lord he reads about this and he sits down and he says Today, this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. What's that mean? <laughs> You're going to realize the fulfillment of this story today as I've read it to you. What's he saying? I am the one who fulfills all this story. You see, the events of Jesus' life, including his death and resurrection, are in direct fulfillment of what the Apostle Paul later called the hope of Israel. His story is Israel's story. It's as though all the hopes of Israel that Israel was meant to bring to the nations, all those then fell onto the back of one human being who was, we have discover later, in fact, the God-man, human and divine. All of the hopes and promises and even the judgment which occurred through Israel happens on him. He becomes the ultimate fulfillment of the story of of the Bible see in many ways, Jesus is the ending to the story which began when first Adam sinned and then Noah sinned, and then Abraham was called, and then continuing, Jesus is the one Jesus is the one who is the ultimate hope of Israel, or as uh, Simeon the old man said, when Jesus was just a baby to be uh, brought before the temple, he is the hope of the consolation of Israel. Isaiah uh, uh, had preached about the comfort ye, comfort ye my people. I will do something that you will never believe. I will do it. And Simeon, the old man, saw it. And he said, here is the hope of Israel. And the apostle Paul then speaks about Jesus in the 28th chapter of Acts when he's standing before the, people of, uh, the, the Jewish people in Rome. He says, I am here because of my belief in the hope of Israel. You see, for Paul, he understood that all the hopes and dreams of all these people were brought together in the person of Jesus. Yes, there was, there, the, the, the story of Israel in many ways is a story of looking for home. Looking for home. You're in the Garden of Eden, but you get cast out. You want to go back to home, right? You're living in Canaan or in Ur of the Chaldees, and God says, Go, Abraham, I want you to find a home and take you to a home. I'll give you a land. There it'll be Canaan. Then they go away to Egypt and they find and they want to go back home to the promised land. Ultimately they come out of Egypt into, into the home of the promised land, but then they end up getting exiled from there. There's this longing for home. And Jesus is the one who finally brings us home. And so Philippians 2 has a story that reminds us of that. It tells us that Jesus had a beautiful home. Jesus was from all eternity equal to God himself. He was equal. uh, uh, Sorry, my page went over. Lost my page there. Um, he was equal to God himself. He says, although he was in the form of God, did not count equality a thing with God, a thing to be grasped. It speaks about the pre- preexistence of Jesus, that he had a heavenly home. He had a dignity, a place. He had his place with God. But what did he do? He left his home. He says he did not grasp it, but he came. He came and emptied himself and took the form of a servant, was born like a man, and being found in human form, he humbled himself and was obedient to death even death on the cross he had a home he lost his home he became a human and and died a slave's death but then god has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name that the name of jesus every knee should bow every tongue confess that jesus christ is lord to the glory of god he had god the father he had a home he left his home and died, and he returned, was exalted, and received the rank and title which was always his by divine right. You see, what happened to Jesus was, as it were, the reality towards rich, the whole Bible story was moving all along. In Jesus, God's plan to work through Israel for the world has finally come true. At the same time, God's plan to do for Israel what she needed to be rescued happened as well. It was fulfilled through him. Jesus realizes the story of Israel and the Bible. You see, the Bible is a story in search of an ending. The New Testament, the Old Testament. And the, and the New Testament says, Jesus, despite no one knew it, but this is where the story was going. The Apostle Paul began to believe. It puts together the complete story. That's why when Jesus appeared uh, on Resurrection Day to Cleopas in Luke 24, it says, he, beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he interpreted to them in all the Scriptures the things concerning himself. Jesus opens up the whole Bible and says, don't you know this was all talking about me? Yes, the resurrection is what completes the whole story of the Bible. Later that night, he appeared to the disciples themselves, Luke 24, 44. He said, these are my words I spoke to you while I was still with you, that everything written about me in the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms must be fulfilled. Then he opened their minds to understand the Scriptures. You see, the death and resurrection of Jesus makes the whole story come together. It fits it all together. Now, that may not be significant to you, but it is to me, because I remember having grown up in the church, learning all these stories about all these things. I didn't really understand, even though there are many events, it's all one story. It's not like God said, oh, I'm done with that Old Testament, people. Let me start something new. No, this was all... Does that make sense to you? There are a lot of Christians who act like that's true, and that's not true. It's all part of this whole epic trauma and story about paradise lost, paradise found. And ultimately, we're still in that place in the middle because of what Jesus has done. We've been given a home with him, but we have a heavenly home when God remakes the world, the earth, and the heavens and creates a new humanity out of this old Earth and is planted like a seed in the ground as Jesus was planted in the like a seed in the ground and was birthed to new life. Sometimes, someday, this world will birth to new life and we will see the ultimate fulfillment of that story. But it all looks back to Jesus. Yes, we wait for the final fulfillment. That's the first point. Secondly, the resurrection of Jesus, the resurrection of Jesus renews our humanity. Renews our humanity, or you might say it this way: it reverses the fall of Adam. Now think about this: in Genesis three, when the when when the creation uh, uh, when the world was first made, and God put them in the in the in the garden, what did Adam and Eve do? They snatched at something which was not theirs in order to become like God. They, they snatched at something they did not possess, which was equality with God. They looked at the fruit and they took it. They decided for themselves that they would become masters of their own destiny. They snatched at what was not theirs. And as a result, they lost their true humanity. They lost their sense of self. They began right away to, their eyes were opened. They looked at themselves. They saw they were naked. They felt ashamed. They hid from God. They covered themselves. They blamed one another. They blamed God. And the whole culture of the world is because ultimately human beings grasped at what was not theirs and in the process lost what who they really were as the true humans in the image of God it was all marred but look what the philippians is telling us jesus, whereas adam grasped at what was not his and therefore i lost who he truly was jesus gave up what was truly his gave up his rights and prerogatives as a member of the Godhead in the heavenly places. Jesus gave up. No, he didn't lose his deity. We'll get to that in a minute. But he. It said, look what it says. It says, who though he was in the form of God, that speaks about, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself, but made himself nothing Taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of man, he found in human form, he humbled himself. Jesus lived a new way of being human. Instead of grasping for what was not his, he let go of all his prerogatives of God and came down and lived the only truly human life which ever has been lived. You see, Jesus, we see, at it. Paul is telling us and he tells us in another passage explicitly, Jesus is has done what Adam failed to do. Jesus has reversed the effects of the fall. Jesus had been the one truly human being. He has come to where Adam ended up. He came into the mess that Adam, humanity, created and lived and died underneath its weight and its evil and its abuse. He came to the land of sin and death in order to rescue and to restore humanity. What did Jesus do? He didn't grasp, but rather he gave he gave. Adam grasped and lost his true identity. Jesus let go of his rights and prerogatives as God. and But what ultimately happened? While it is true that he came into the land of sin and death and evil and died mercilessly under its weight, what does it say at the end of three days? Wherefore, God also hath highly exalted him, and I've given to him a name which is above every name. That's the name that was rightfully his before he came to this earth, right? A name that was ever above every name. That at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow, every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. It's important to understand something about this. That because God clothed himself in human flesh, God has blessed humanity. I know how it feels. You think your problem is found in your human flesh. It makes you want to do bad stuff all the time, doesn't it? It craves things. And it says, gimme, gimme, gimme. And you try to say, no, no, no. But you, and so you think the problem is in your flesh. No, the problem is that your flesh is not yet surrendered to the lordship of Jesus Christ as it should be. So that we can use our gifts and our abilities to serve people, not to be served by Many people think of humanness as if it were itself a bad thing, but in the Bible, our humanity is a fundamentally good thing. When God created this world, he said it was very good, and God did not change his mind. He's not just trying to trash this thing. He's not just saying only your soul matters, only your spirit matters. No, Jesus was clothed in human flesh. The Bible says he tabernacled among us. He lived among us. We touched him. We saw him. We heard him. First John tells us this. We walked with him. And even after his resurrection, he said, can you give me something to eat? I'm hungry. He said these things because, and so this affirms our essential humanity. Humanity is a good thing. The problem with wickedness and evil and sin is that they corrupt and distort our humanness, and they get wedded together. And so on the cross, when Jesus died, he took all, though he himself was sinless and guiltless, he took all that corruption, all that distortion, all that evil onto himself. He let its full effects be carried out against him on his body, it was seen in the horror and the agony of his death there on that cross when all of human self-centeredness and greed and even religious oppression was put together on him that day on that cross. And there he felt it, and he dealt with it once and for all by letting it have its way, letting it wash over him and cast him into death itself, he went into that place. So the problem of wickedness and evil and sin could have it. See, the thing that's beautiful about a Bible story is it takes sin and evil seriously. It takes it seriously. It doesn't pretend it's not there. In fact, it's so serious, that's why Jesus died. But he died in order to rescue our humanity, not rescue us from our humanity. Do you see the difference? It's so important to see that. that important to see that. Yeah, he dealt with it once for all. And then there in the resurrection, there is a joyful reaffirmation of humanity when Jesus has a glorified body, a body which the Bible says we one day will have. And therefore, it says, God has given him a name which is above every name. It's recognition of the fact in Psalm chapter 8 and verse 4, when, when and following, when the psalmist says, What is man that you are mindful of him, or the Son of man that you care for him? Yet you have made him a little lower than the angels and crowned him with glory and honor. This is, a, we, we've been crowned with glory and honor, and Jesus was given a name. There's more to this, but it does include the humanity of Jesus and our. Our own essential goodness as human beings. You see, the lordship which Jesus exercises, this is important to see, the lordship which Jesus exercises today is the lordship of that of the true Adam, the risen Adam, the truly human being. Jesus still has the scars on his hands, he still has. The hole in his side. He has a remade body. He didn't just pretend to be human. He truly was human. so important for us to see that. Yes. And so this is the affirmation of the goodness of this created order through the resurrection. And that's why, as we talked about last week, his resurrection offers to us newness of life as we learn what it means to allow the Spirit of God to transform us, to make us into the truly human beings we were meant to be. So the resurrection of, story, uh, uh, resurrection of Jesus uh, uh, realizes the story of Israel in the Bible. And the resurrection of Jesus uh, reaffirms our fallen humanity, reverses our fallen humanity humanity reverses the story of Adam. And then finally, the resurrection of Jesus reveals the true nature of God. It reveals the true nature of God. Yes, the resurrection is the story of history. Yes, the resurrection is the story of humanity. but The resurrection of Jesus is also the story of God. Think about this. Again, I know I'm expecting to think a little bit. It says there at the end of it at the name of Jesus every knee will bow and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of the Father. Now this is a quotation that John or that Paul uses that comes out of Isaiah chapter 45 where the where where the Lord in this prophetic word is denouncing uh, paganism denouncing any other gods that would set themselves up against God. He's saying, There are no other gods with me. Listen to what it says Isaiah 45, 20, 22, and 23. The Lord says, Turn to me and be saved, all the ends of the earth, for I am God and there is no other. By myself I have sworn. From my mouth has gone out in righteousness a word that shall not return. To me every knee shall bow and every tongue shall swear allegiance. Now, this prophetic word from the great prophet Isaiah says, there's no one besides me, and to me every knee will bow and swear allegiance. Now, what did Paul just say in Philippians chapter 2 and the following? He said, to Jesus, every knee will bow and declare that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of the Father. Now, what's going on here? In the Old Testament, Paul, no, I just wish you could kind of feel the flavor of this. They were so utterly monotheistic. There was one God, no other. I cannot bow to other gods as all the other pagans did. Just add God to your list. No, it's not the way it works. They died for that belief. And in Isaiah's prophecy, I will share my glory with no one to me of every knee will bow. And here is Paul, this Pharisee turned Christian, who says about Jesus, to Jesus, every knee will bow. Paul could not have been saying anything but this. Jesus, when we, when we bow to Jesus, we're bowing to God. When we speak of God, we're speaking of Jesus, Jesus is the fundamental and final revelation of God in the in our in our understanding all the glory which goes to God goes through Jesus in the resurrection and exaltation of Jesus Paul sees the establishment of God Himself as the sovereign one, as the creator of the world, as victorious over His rivals. He ascribes to Jesus the, the glory which was supposed to be given only to God. There are not two gods, there are one. That means when you see the man on the tree, you're looking at God on the tree. That means when you see the man suffering, you're looking at God. Suffering. That means that anything you want to ascribe to God better pass through the lens of Jesus. If it doesn't look like anything Jesus would do, it's not something God would do. You see, Jesus is the revelation of God. This is why Christianity, uh, this is what makes Christianity fundamentally unique. Yes. Paul's answer to this story is that the one with whom the living God the transcendent uh, is that the one with whom the living God the transcendent father has shared his glory is the one who had always shared it. He'd always he was who was in the very uh, Look at the poem again who though he was in the form of God that means he had the nature of God. He did not regard equality with God, that is, fighting for a place in the Godhead as something to be grasped, but emptied himself. He didn't stop becoming God when he became human and, was, uh, and, and, and made himself nothing, taking the form of a servant. I used to think that was just because Jesus was a nice guy. He wanted to come as a servant. No, Jesus, that's what God is. God is a servant. That's what he does. When Jesus comes into this world, this is the way he shows up. He doesn't care about trappings. He owns all the hills. He made all the hills. He cares about serving. So he took the form of a servant, being born in human human likeness. I mean the nature of humans. And being found in human form, he humbled himself, becoming obedient to death. Why did he die? Because humanity was so twisted and warped that they thought The power was seen by taking advantage of people. And because Jesus didn't do what they wanted to do, they killed him. He had a different idea. They killed him because he wasn't the God they wanted. But he's the only God that ever really was. He is that God. That's what the Christian message wants us to see. He humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on the cross. Died under the weight of Uh, you know, Roman power and religious power. He died under that, under the evil of that. Therefore, God has highly exalted him. God, the Father, has exalted him and given to him the name which God said he would never give to anyone but himself. I know there's a mystery in that. There's a mystery in that. But that's the mystery of the Christian gospel. Jesus is the one who was from the beginning equal with God. He was not human before he came to this earth. He came down to this earth in human form. He became human at that particular place and time without ceasing to be God. And in many ways, the whole point of the story, the humanness of Jesus, is to see that this is the way God lives on this earth. And on that cross, Jesus did what only God could do. And so, in that resurrection, he is raised to a glory with God's own unique glory, the glory which Adam was designed to reflect, not have, but reflect, okay? And uh, uh, the story of Jesus is the story of what God looks like on this earth. See, in our culture, everybody believes in God, but they think they can make up God however they want, right? Christians don't say that. Christians say, we believe Jesus is God. You want to know what God is like? Look at Jesus. He welcomes the outcast. He lays down his life for his enemies. He forgives those who abuse him. He, uh, he, he brings healing and hope to everyone. He uses his resources to serve people. That's who God is. So in the resurrection of Jesus, we see that the story of Israel in the Bible is completed, that the fallenness of humanity is reversed, and that the true nature of God is revealed. And so when we gather every Sunday morning, we gather to remember that. That's why when we gather, we gather, we close our gathering with the Lord's table. Because it's that reminder of how it is that God, when he came, came to be among us as one who served. This is the God who laid down his life for you and for me. Now, I wonder what you will do with that. Will you... Pretend that God is not looking out for your own best interests and decide that you want to live your own life on your own terms. God will let you do that. But why not embrace the loving, self-giving love of God and fall down before Him so that what will happen at the end of time when every knee will bow happens at this point in time when your knee bows before Him, the one who made us, the one who forgave us, the one who rescued us, the one who remakes us into his image, the one who will ultimately take us with him into his new heavens and new earth. That's a beautiful story. And that's something about what the resurrection means for you and me. Have I lost you? I hope not. God bless you. Let's have the prayers we close. Father, oh my goodness, there's so much in this resurrection story. We could never exhaust it. We should never be flippant about it. And we've kind of thought through some of the hard things about it, There's so many implications. You know, as this world lost its home, so often we have a sense of homelessness and loss before you. But you have come to bring us back home. Thank you that you lived and died among us. Help us to respond in faith to that story. It's a story which changed the world and can change it again. We embrace this in Jesus' name. Amen.